0: podcast number 685 for the 20th of March 2020 This week those who argue that Illustrator is better than Photoshop or that Photoshop is better than Illustrator are missing the point Adobe makes each for specific purposes In Short Circuits Ohio is essentially shut down in an effort to slow the spread of the new coronavirus and as other states follow Ohio's lead technology is filling in the gaps where possible if you've ever wondered what the SXS directory is, and whether you can delete it to save space, don't. I'll explain why. In spare parts, only on the website, the expected coronavirus scams are spreading across the internet, and it's wise to avoid them. Some healthcare providers are bringing telemedicine online sooner than expected for what would have been basic office visits. And 20 years ago, Intel was looking 20 years ahead. How accurate was the company in looking ahead to 2020? We'll see. Let's call this section, Should I Use Photoshop or Illustrator? Photoshop has just celebrated its 30th birthday, if applications can be said to celebrate anything, but older sibling Illustrator is 33 years old. And to answer the question I posed there, yes, you should. Oh, you forgot the question? The question was, should I use Photoshop or Illustrator? So, yes. Illustrator is the vector drawing application that's most used by graphics professionals, but in the early days I preferred vector applications such as CorelDRAW. Today even Photoshop can handle vector components. Illustrator's tool set is well beyond impressive though, and Creative Cloud subscribers already have it, so maybe it's time to take another look. Understanding the differences between vector images and raster images is an essential first step, Photographs are raster images that are stored as an array of dots. These are referred to as raster or bitmap images. The two terms have slightly different definitions, but they're often used interchangeably. Files with extensions such as BMP, TIFF, JPEG, and GIF are bitmap images. Resizing these images reduces their quality, and large bitmap files are huge. Vector images, on the other hand, are made of math. Regardless of the output size, the size of the vector file stays the same because the file contains mathematical descriptions of lines and curves. Files with extensions such as AI, EXP, SVG, and DXF are vector images. They can be resized with no loss of quality. Regardless of how an image is represented in the computer, it will be converted to a raster image when it's printed, So, it's easy to conclude that all graphics should be stored as raster images. That's not the case, though. Nearly any image that contains letter forms is better represented as a vector image. Logos and business graphics are generally better as vectors, if for no other reason than that they may need to be sized to fit on a business card, a truck, or anything in between. Photoshop sometimes uses vectors, and Illustrator sometimes uses bitmaps. So maybe it'd be better to just pick one application and use it? Sorry, but no. Illustrator uses raster components only for effects that can't easily be rendered as vectors. Drop shadows, for example, are raster graphics. Photoshop includes vector drawing tools, primarily for text and objects. When vectors are included, Photoshop stores the vector information inside the raster-based image file. The 2018 and 2019 versions of Illustrator have added a lot of enticing features. And that, by the way, is one of the main advantages of the subscription-based Creative Cloud program. Although users can subscribe to individual programs or to packages like the photography plan that includes Photoshop, Adobe Camera Raw, and Lightroom, a full Creative Cloud subscription is the best choice for anybody who needs multiple applications. An Illustrator license costs $20 a month. Someone who needs Photoshop would pay $20 for that license or $10 for the photography package. So that's 30 to $40. And the full Creative Cloud plan is $53 a month. So grumbling aside, those who need Photoshop and Illustrator And who think that they might ever need one of the other audio, video, website creation, or design applications will find Creative Cloud to be the cost-effective choice. Creative Cloud includes almost 30 applications, and the ability to explore applications and creative endeavors well beyond one's needs can be mind-expanding. In November 2018, an Illustrator update added a Properties panel with context-sensitive information and settings, Puppet Warp to let a user warp just part of an image, better support for high-definition screens, and support for OpenType variable typefaces. The November 2019 update added an automatic spelling checker that actually works, Path simplification to remove unnecessary points from hand drawn components, and faster rendering of effects that are created with raster components. So let's dig in a little. And I'll start with variable text. Adobe introduced support for the OpenType variable format in the 2019 version and included Acumen, Minion, Myriad, Source Code, Source Sans, and Source Serif. But it's still a big deal even a year later. OpenType variable is a descendant of 1992's multiple master typefaces. That was really exciting 28 years ago because it allowed designers to create typeface variants on the fly by adjusting weight, width, skew, height, and other factors. That's in addition to the standard adjustments such as size and line spacing. That technology never caught on though, mainly due to lack of support from applications. Adobe, Apple, and Microsoft have agreed on the OpenType variable format specification, and now designers will be able to create the exact typeface they need. The typefaces provided include up to 100 variants from extra condensed thin to wide ultra black italic, and if none of the variants quite fits the designer's needs, additional adjustments are available. Adobe has spent a lot of time developing interoperability between its many applications. There are still some inconsistencies. For example, resizing an object in Photoshop now maintains the aspect ratio by default, while Illustrator does not. When possible, developers use components from one application to perform tasks in another. One of the welcome additions to Illustrator comes from InDesign, the OpenType Glyph Selector, Some letters and numbers have variants that can be substituted for the normal character. Let's take an example, old-style numbers. In a typeface with old-style numbers, the digits have variable heights, and some of the numbers slide below the baseline. To create the effect in a modern-style typeface, the user can select a numeral, 9 is the one I use in the example you'll see on the TechByte Worldwide website, right-click it, and then choose the old-style variant. Along the same line, ligatures are specialized glyphs that contain two or three letters into a single character. They date back to the earliest days of writings when monks realized that some letter combinations could be improved. The letters f and i can be combined into a single glyph that has both f and i. The ligature connects the top part of the lowercase i to the crossbar of the lowercase f. Depending on the letter form, the dot over the lowercase i may be eliminated, and these ligatures can be created automatically, just as they are by InDesign, when that feature is enabled. Let's move on to simplifying paths. This isn't a new feature in Illustrator 2020, but the feature has been improved substantially. The example image you'll see on the TechBiter Worldwide website is trivial because it contains only a few dozen points, but imagine an object with hundreds of lines and possibly tens of thousands of points. Extra points are created when accuracy is set too high for images that have been scanned and converted to vector images, or when the user's hand wavers when creating a hand-drawn component. The original image you'll see on the TechBiter Worldwide website has a lot of needless points. Using Illustrator's Object Path Simplify function removes most of the points, applies a little bit of smoothing, and leaves the object virtually unchanged visually. In addition to the simple slider tool, Illustrator provides a detailed settings panel that can display before and after views and allow the user to set thresholds for changes. And then there's Illustrator's new Touch Type tool. This makes it possible to add fine adjustments in a block of text, there might be a time when you need to select, for example, the letter O that's in the middle of a word, rotate it a little bit, and then pull it well below the baseline. Okay, that's not a feature you'd use very often, but I can see how a designer might use it as part of a visual pun, or part of a logo. A much more common and much more subtle use would be to kern letters in a headline or a logo. Corel Draw had a similar feature more than two decades ago but the new function in Illustrator is more robust. The developers have added impressive graphing tools to illustrate data visually with common bar and pie charts, scattered charts, and radar charts. So the bottom line here for Illustrator is five cats. Even Photoshop-only users should sometimes use Illustrator. Adobe Photoshop does include some features from Illustrator, but it is not Illustrator. Despite the features they share, both Photoshop and Illustrator have strengths where the other does not. If you're working with a photograph or other raster image, reach for Photoshop. When you need to work with vector images, perhaps to create a logo, Illustrator is your friend. Neither is the right tool for brochures, magazines, and books, though. For that, you need InDesign. But that is another story. If you'd like additional details about Illustrator, you'll find them on the Adobe website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the Donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat. circuits the usual basketball march madness has been canceled and replaced with coronavirus madness disneyland is closed the national association of broadcasters annual convention is off schools are closed broadway shows are shut down people are working from home if they can regardless of how this all plays out there's plenty of inconvenience to go around even if you don't get sick The responses come in various sizes and shapes, and when possible, technology can help. TechSmith has announced it'll provide Snagit without charge to any organization that needs it through the end of June. Presumably, they're setting up an extended trial period that will time out on the 30th of June. With lots of schools and colleges switching to online instruction and organizations encouraging people to work from home, this will be a useful tool for sharing information. TechSmith may make some sales in July as people who use the extended free trial decide that they want to continue using it. But the primary reason for the offer seems to be simply a desire to help. Libraries across Ohio started canceling events, programs, story times, classes, book discussion groups, and other group activities, as well as closing public meeting rooms, homework help centers, and such, through early April. Then, very quickly after that, they announced that they would close all locations for at least three weeks. Both Columbus and Worthington libraries posted photos from closing time on Friday the 13th. Patrons had scooped up books for use during the interim. Many libraries offer an enormous amount of information online so that people who are stuck at home still do have access to some resources. Many grocery stores offer online ordering with either home delivery or parking lot pickup. Either of these will be helpful in achieving social distancing so customers don't need to stand in long lines. In Ohio, just about everything else is closed. Restaurants can offer delivery or pickup. Some brewers are offering home delivery and Ohio's primary election voting has been postponed until June, we think. And finally, anything written or said about plans or responses is likely to be outdated even before I finish speaking. So all of that is simply a prologue to what follows. And what follows is this. There is little good to be found in this event. Small businesses and their employees are going to be hurt badly, particularly those who work hourly jobs in the hospitality industry survive on tips, or live paycheck to paycheck. Technology can't help those people. Time will tell whether what passes for government these days will finally step up and do what's needed. who occasionally goes prospecting to find temporary files and other junk that can be deleted to reclaim disk space may have encountered a directory called win sxs. It's inside the Windows directory, and if you found that directory, maybe you wondered what it is. Display the contents of that directory, and you will find thousands of additional directories and tens of thousands of files that consume many gigabytes of disk space. That discovery often leads to two questions. First, what are all these directories and files? And second, can I delete them to save space? Well, let's answer the second question first. No, definitely no. Here's Microsoft's verbatim warning. Deleting files from the WinSXS folder, or deleting the entire WinSXS folder, might severely damage your system so that your PC might not boot and make it impossible to update. Well then, despite the warning though, it is possible to clean up the directory and sometimes to save a lot of space. It's just essential to proceed with caution. Now doubling back to the first question, WinSXS means Windows Side by Side, and the directory or folder, if you prefer, keeps track of packages used to install, manage, and uninstall Windows updates. The component store is what allows users to enable or disable Windows features and to update from one version of Windows to the next. Right-clicking the WinSXS directory and selecting Properties from the context menu will show how many files are present and how much space is consumed. On my primary computer, it's a little less than 8GB in 28,052 folders that contain 65,566 files. The numbers, however, are fraudulent, and many of the files aren't really even there. Instead, you're seeing links to files that are stored elsewhere on the computer, The files are shown in both locations, even though they consume space in only one location. If you'd like to dig a little bit deeper, open the command line as an administrator and type dism.exe forward slash online forward slash cleanup dash image forward slash analyze component store with analyze component store all run together. Or you can just copy and paste from the TechBiter Worldwide website. You probably recognize DISM, that's Deployment Image Servicing and Management, because it's used to fix some other problems, and it's been a topic here previously. Running the command as shown displays a value for the size of files shared with Windows. These are files that are stored elsewhere. On my computer, that's 5.75 gigabytes out of the total 8.74 gigabytes. You'll also see a line that shows how much space is used by backups and disabled features, that would be 2.98 gigabytes for me, and cache and temporary data, zero bytes on my machine. The process also shows how many reclaimable packages exist, five on my computer, and information about whether Windows recommends performing a component store cleanup. The cleanup was recommended when I ran the command, so the next step involved choosing an option. Three exist. These are all commands that are issued from the command line as an administrator and each begins with dism.exe forward slash online forward slash cleanup image. The only thing that's different is the final argument in each of the commands. Start component cleanup is the least aggressive option. It uninstalls all previous versions of components without waiting for a scheduled tasks 30-day grace period. I'll tell you more about that in just a moment. Second option is sp superseded. This command removes files needed to uninstall service packs, so after running the command, you won't be able to uninstall any currently installed service packs. Make sure that any recent service packs are working properly before you use the command. And the third uses the reset base argument. It is the most aggressive option, and it removes every old version of each component. After running this command, you will not be able to uninstall any installed service packs or updates. Note though that although these commands affect previously installed updates and service packs, they have no effect on future updates. But still, unless disk space is critically low on the computer, it is safer to allow the operating system to manage these files. The task scheduler runs a start component cleanup process that uninstalls components needed to roll back an update 30 days after the update has been installed. That is the safest option. No cleanup is needed for spare parts, but you do need a browser to read this month's offerings, which include the expected coronavirus scams are spreading across the Internet, and it's wise to avoid them. Some healthcare providers are bringing telemedicine online sooner than expected for what would have been basic office visits. And 20 years ago, Intel was looking 20 years ahead. How accurate was the company in looking ahead to 2020? We'll see. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.